The following audio is from Life Baptist Church in Las Vegas, Nevada. For more information about our church, please visit lifebaptistchurch.com. Merry Christmas. Welcome to our Christmas Eve service. It is uh, so good to see you. Listen, uh, those of you who are part of this church, it's, uh, it's fun to gather together and worship the Lord, didn't our, our ladies, our little ladies choir, we need some young boys, but our little ladies choir do a good job, uh, and our praise mom, give them a round, thank them. So good, it's fun, it's incredible to be able to gather together uh, and uh, as a church family, and then if you're with, uh, with us and you're first time here, maybe you're from out of town, uh, maybe somebody bribed you into getting here with cookies, and uh, we're just so glad you're here, guests. Uh, we hope that you'll, not only your season of Christmas will be enhanced, uh, but your total and whole experience of our Lord will be enhanced by our time uh, together. My name is Andrew, I'm one of the pastors here, and again, I'm just grateful, and I, I want to add my welcome to my three kids. I have four, but three of them welcomed you a minute ago, and uh, we just want you to know how thrilled we are uh, that you're here. What a day. What a weekend. Uh, this is uh, fun to be able to celebrate the incarnation. We can argue about the details of the calendar later. Today, the focus is the coming of our Savior. Amen? And the fact that he is here and that we are celebrating our uh, Savior who came in the flesh. And so I got a couple of minutes I want to spend with you and let the word of God come to bear on our lives, even in our short Christmas Eve service that we have uh, together. So I'm going to read to you in just a few minutes. If you have a Bible, you can find your place in Matthew chapter 1. I'll have uh, these on the screen uh, in just a second. Uh, but Matthew chapter 1, verse 22 and 23, we're going to read here in just a second. Today, uh, we have talked a little bit about the name of Jesus. And I was thinking about this this week, what really is in a name? Uh, how many of you don't, don't admit to this because we don't want to have to take role on this. How many of you hate your name? Just think about that. I hate my name. Why in the world did my parents name me that? And uh, maybe that's where you are. Or maybe you uh, were named something and then you found out what it means. And you're like, did they not look at name definition books when they named me? That's part of the reason why I was always known as Andy. And then I realized I want to be known as Andrew from now on because I looked up the definition of the name Andy and it meant feminine. And I'm like... <laughs> I think I'm Andrew from now on. I want to be, I want to be Andrew. And so I'd go ahead and tell everybody, everybody that. But what really is in a name? What does your name say about you? What does your last name say about you? It certainly identifies you with your clan, right? Your, your family uh, that you're a part of. Your first name may say something about your nationality. It may it quickly identify your age. You might be named something that was popular in a certain decade, and then we, you say your name, and we're like, yep, that person was born in that decade. It might say something about uh, your, just what your parents hoped you would become, because they actually did look at a name definition book. <laughs> uh, but you really do know more about a person's name in the Bible. In fact, in the Old Testament, the prophets were often commanded to give their children specific names that describe God's dealings with the people of Israel. I mean, you can take a real easy study of the Bible and the Old Testament names and realize that these names were meant to be a defining uh, name, a de de declaration of who God is and how he was going to deal with his people. Now, throughout Scripture, uh, we have the same kind of thing happening with the name of Jesus. Jesus is named 
many things. And he was prophesied hundreds of years before he came. And in those prophecies, there were names that he was given, things that would define him or maybe clarify why he was coming. In fact, uh, one popular Christmas verse is Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, when he talks about the coming, uh, the, the child who would be born, he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Those are some great names, right? They define who it is that Jesus is. There's some other names that we know Jesus by. We know him as Messiah. We know him as Redeemer, Savior, the Son of Man, the Son of God, the way, the truth, and the life. And I could go on and on tonight talking about the names that Jesus is known by. However, there is a name that we have mentioned multiple times throughout this evening so far that I think summarizes Christmas for us. It summarizes what we're celebrating. Why is Christmas a celebration? And the name that we have sung about and mentioned already tonight is the name, I think, that clarifies for us why is Christmas a big deal. And it's not Santa, Frosty the Snowman, or Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. It is something bigger and more important than all of that. And that is the name Emmanuel. Emmanuel. And Matthew chapter 1, verse 22 through verse 23 speaks to this. And I want you to see it because he gives him in this text the name Emmanuel. So the story of Matthew chapter 1 is the birth of Jesus Christ. It took place in this way. The the girls already read about that for us. And then at the end of that, they also read this. For to us a child is born. I'm sorry. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel, Emmanuel. And the, the next portion of that verse says, which, is me, which means God with us. God with us. This is the fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, when again, the same thing is said, he shall be called, or his name shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. The word Emmanuel, Emmanuel is with us, and L is the uh, a part of that word that is a reference to God. So it literally is, literally, God with us. So Christ's name, Emmanuel, is, is a name that explains for us the real reason for Christmas celebration. And so this evening, I want us just to pause for a second and realize and embrace and settle into what this means, God with us. In the English, three words, God with us. Now, in order to understand this and grasp the full meaning of Christmas, I just want to understand what this means or what is meant by this name. God, in his infinite wisdom and omniscience, chose to name himself, if you will, when he came to earth, Emmanuel. So what does that say for us? And here's what it says and why we celebrate Christmas. We're going to take the three words of this name and we're going to explain it. So first, he starts with God. God. And what we know about God is, I'm going to summarize in this statement, he is the righteous power. He is the righteous power of creation. God is the eternally self-existent being, the first cause of everything else that exists. He is the eternal omnipotent power that is unchangeable, all-knowing, all-present, triune power behind all things that are in existence. (laughs) 
God is incomprehensible, inscrutable, unfathomable, and unsearchable. That is God. So when we talk about God, we're not talking about a little idol that we worship. We're talking about the creator of all things that exist. In fact, the early church leader Augustine was once uh, uh, questioned by a, an idol worshiper. And he said, here is my God, where is yours? And Augustine replied, I cannot show you my God, not because there is no God to show, but because you have no eyes to see him. They would not accept him, nor could they see him, because God is too powerful and glorious for us as men to see. Now, one thing that has been revealed to us about God that makes the name Emmanuel so amazing is that he is a God that is holy and perfectly righteous, without sin and without error. God is holy, which means that he is separated from all moral defilement and hostile towards moral uh, immorality. He sees evil and he's not pleased with it. It angers him. He's so holy that literally Isaiah chapter 6 verse 3 gives us a glimpse into the throne room of heaven, if we can understand it as that. And around him are angels flying and, and declaring over and over again, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now, this God in his perfect holiness and righteousness created mankind to have a relationship with him. Isn't that beyond comprehension that we mortal, finite beings were created to have a relationship with God, a holy God. As the righteous power of creation, God, the, 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 the one word in this name, God, the, the, the righteous power of creation has the authority to establish right from wrong. And the standard he set is the definition of righteousness and to not live up to his standard is sin or literally missing the mark of his righteous standard. That is God. Perfect, eternal, and holy power and creator of the universe. My goal, point number one, is for you to think of God as a really big deal, right? Amen? We got it? Okay. Then the third word of this name is us. Now, us, I don't know what you think of when you think of mankind, but let me help you. <laughs> it's a name, obviously, it's a, it's a pronoun in this phrase in the English that defines humankind or mankind, the, the God-created human race. We know that mankind was initially created by God in Adam and Eve in perfect holiness, living up to his moral standard and living in communion with him. Man was created in communion with God. However, if you know the story of mankind or you are a man or a woman, you know that we fell from righteousness. We fell in sin and from the glory of God that he expected of us in his standard. In fact, Romans 3.23 tells us that, doesn't it? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All mankind has sinned and fallen short of the standard of the infinite creator of the universe. And the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So what we know about us, this is us, right? What we know about us is that we are all, every one of us, sinful and broken in our sin. Now that's not the news I know you came to hear, so let me finish, but that is us. In fact, I realize this, that if you ever doubt the presence of sin nature in humans, have children. Amen? 
just have children. <laughs> my, my little boy just turned four yesterday. He's four, and he has never been taught how to sin, yet he's very good at it. Very efficient, very, very accomplished in his sin, because he is a sinner born as mankind. We all are sinners. The sinful brokenness, we know us, the sinful brokenness has caused us to be spiritually dead and separated from God. There is a gap. There is a gap, not just in my sentence up here. (laughs) There is a gap in real life that is between us and God because God in his perfect righteousness and holiness and us in our broken sinfulness, our relationship has been broken. There is a gap. There is a divide. We are now dead in our trespasses and sins in this world because of our sin. Now, understanding that God, the infinite creator of the universe, created us to have a close personal relationship with him, but man sinned and fell from righteousness and our relationship with God was divided. So in very real sense, God is on one side of the picture and us is on the other side of the picture. Our sin caused there to be a gap between us and God across which we could never bridge in our own power. God is holy and perfectly righteous, and we are wicked and completely sinful. God wants to have, though, in spite of that, a relationship with us, but cannot because of sin. There must be something to bridge the gap. Listen, there must be something to bridge the gap between us and God. There must be something, and that is where the second word, though third in our order, comes in, and that is with. You see, God, the righteous power of creation, and us, the ruined people his created, have been separated by sin, but then the coming of Christ provides us with a preposition, with. Did you know that was a preposition? (laughs) Grammar class, a preposition. A preposition is a, is a, grammar word, it's a, it's, a, it's a part of speech or usage, usage in sentences to show the relationship between two things. The relationship could be directional, could be time, it could be place, it could be a location. It's to show the relationship between two nouns or two things. The preposition in this sentence that is the name of our Savior that defines for us the reason for the celebration at Christmas tells us that the gap between God and us has been bridged. The preposition tells us that God is with us. Now, other prepositions could be used here. In fact, by the light of nature, we see that God is a God who is above us. By the light of the law, which we have broken, we can see God as a God against us. But the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ coming to this earth is the story of Emmanuel, which is God with us. So God, who is altogether righteous and holy, a God who cannot allow sin in his presence, and us who are sinners that are unholy and cannot dwell in the presence of God, then there is with, which brings the two together and makes it possible for a holy God to live in a relationship with unholy man. The with is the difference in this sentence. It is the centerpiece of this definition of the name of Christ that we celebrate on or during the Christmas season. You see, Jesus bridged the gap between us and our sinfulness and God in his righteousness. Now, I don't know if you're in the habit of jotting notes down or, 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 or uh, references, but next to your Bible in the, in the margin, you might want to throw 2 Corinthians 
because it says this, for our sake, that's us, <laughs> that's the us, for our sake, he, God, made him, Christ, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, that's Christ, we, that's us, might become the righteousness of God. Here's what one man said, the son of God became the son of man so that he might change the sons of men into sons of God, so that we might inherit, if you will, or receive the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So he, the with, is one word, though it defines for us Christ coming in the flesh so that he might die as a man. See, we failed as men. So we needed one of us who did not fail to represent us. And there's only one person who ever did not fail as a man that could actually represent us, and that is our Lord Jesus Christ, God with us in the flesh. And when God became flesh in Jesus, he did not relinquish any of his glorious divine attributes. He and in him the whole fullness of deity dwelt bodily. So him in the flesh as God who was now a man to die on a cross for us as a man, representing those of us who could not die for ourselves. Here's the message of Christmas. You ready? God desires to have a personal relationship with you. So he pursued you by sending Jesus Christ into the world to dwell with us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Most popular verse in the Bible, John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. It's more than a head belief. It's more than saying, I love Christmas and I believe all of this. It is a stepping out of, by faith, your own dependence and trusting in Jesus Christ as your savior. This is why Christ rightfully says he is the way, the truth, and the life. Listen, if you ever expect to get, bridge the gap between where you are and where God is, the only hope of bridging that gap is Jesus Christ. Now, I'm amazed whenever I ask this, so I'm not going to ask you to respond, but have you ever been to the Grand Canyon? And I'm amazed that in Las Vegas, we live, I don't know, a few hours away from the Grand Canyon, and the reality is, is that so many people raise their hand and say, I've never been. But if you stand on the edge of the Grand Canyon and there's a gap between the South Rim and the North Rim, it is a gap of which by, uh, which by your own strength you could never jump across. In fact, I've often thought how fun it would be just to maybe morbid a little bit humor, but just to try to think about what it would be like to jump across. Who could actually jump across the furthest? How far could you get if you had a beautiful brand new Christmas sweatsuit on and your Brooks running shoes and you were aerodynamic, you even shaved your head so there was no resistance and you jumped as far as you could off the edge of the South Rim, how far could you get? See, it's pretty comical to even think about that because there's no way in your own strength that you would even think that you could actually jump across the gap from the south to the north rim. And infinitely bigger and larger than that is the gap between us and God. Our only hope is the bridge. <laughs> and the bridge is God with us who came to die as us for us so that we could enter back in to a relationship with our God. You see that? What does that say for us? Well, it says this. If you're far from God, there's hope. But that hope isn't in this church. It's not in a religion, nor is it in any other thing this world has to offer. It is in Jesus Christ. There's hope for you. 
whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And then for you that have trusted in Christ and you've found the bridge and you've placed your faith in him and the with is how you got back to God, there is hope that he will never leave you nor forsake you according to Matthew 28, verse 20. So Christmas is worthy of celebration because it is the story of the gap between God, infinitely holy and perfect, and us, broken and ruined, brought back together through a person named Jesus Christ. Amen, church? And there we go. Last verse. For by grace are you saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. The greatest gift you received this week is not something you open up tonight, tomorrow, or tomorrow afternoon if you're weird like that. (laughs) The greatest gift you can receive is the gift that God is offering to you through Jesus Christ, Emmanuel. So in a second, we're going to sing and we're going to close. And I'm going to ask you, to make that decision to receive by faith what Christ has done for you. In fact, even at the end of the service, after we sing and we're leaving, there's going to be a prayer team that's going to be right up here in the front, and we're going to invite you, if you have questions about what that means, to come. Let them pray with you. Let them help you so that you can receive the greatest gift known to man, the gift of Jesus Christ and salvation in his name. Amen? Let's pray together. Well, Father, the fact that you love us enough so much that you send your son or you became flesh and dwelt among us so that we would have a representative, one of us, yet perfect, could die for us. It's amazing love. It's an amazing truth. It's an amazing reality that God we're thankful for this, morning, this evening. So Father, I pray that if there's somebody in this room that doesn't know Christ as their savior, God, I pray that today they would come to know and receive the gift of Jesus Christ. Lord, the person who does know Christ and has been restored to you in this relationship, that they would find incredible hope this Christmas and and, and celebrate and worship that the main reason for this is Christ. Nothing else that's going to be done tonight or tomorrow is the focus of our celebration. It is Jesus Christ, our Savior. So thank you for this truth that we celebrate this Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen.